welcome to The Fallout, a podcast that examines the falsehoods that exist in the church and the fallout that ensues, all the while promoting sound biblical theology and, of course, a bit of fun along the way. I'm your host, Box of Rocks Theologian, coming at you from the Deep South, where legalism is alive and well. And in the co-pilot seat today, the last emperor of the West, the royal reasoner of Revelation himself, Cy Ben, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Good evening and welcome to this Not the Nine O'Clock News. How's everybody doing? <laughs> well, how's it going, bud? Anything new in your life? Uh, well, yeah. You know, as you know, I'm a part of the SBC and we're all being a little bit worried about the uh, political correctness SJWs influencing our church right now. And uh, this weekend I had to leave my Sunday school. Um, turned out that uh, I cracked a little joke about uh, a woman saying that she loves when the pastor preaches, that, you know, loving Jesus means to obey him. I just jokingly said, well, he was only speaking to the women on that part which I found kind of hilarious, but it turned into a big, big kerfuffle. Um, I found out that the Sunday school teacher said that he was the one who was offended, and when asked if he, somebody else was offended, he lied. And uh, <clears throat> he wanted me to make sure I'm not making no more sexist comments and making inappropriate comments, which I kind of thought was not sexist, was not inappropriate, and we kind of need to have a bit of a thicker skin. And then I found out through a friend that somebody was offended and that he lied to me. So I called him back up and he carried on insisting that nobody did. But my friend was there and witnessed the whole thing. So it was kind of a shock to see that a Sunday school teacher responsible for teaching people within the church had no problem lying. Um... He ended the conversation anyway by saying that he was the one who was offended over a female joke, which made no sense to me whatsoever. I mean, he's not female. But, you know, I tried to, like, be reasonable with him. We shook hands, and uh, I said, you know, time's a great healer, and uh, we'll move forward from here. So right now I'm without a Sunday school. Oh, you heathen. All right, well, uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into our, our topic for today. Um, Today we're going to be talking about a story from last month out of Bethel Church. Uh, no doubt most of you have heard of Bill Johnson and the Bethelites attempting to raise the two-year-old little girl from the dead uh, after several days of naming and proclaiming and demanding the little girl come back to life. They ended their crusade with no results. Um, now that you know the, the expectation that that every Christian should be raising the dead is biblically erroneous. Uh, you know, the, the New Testament only provides two accounts of people besides Jesus raising the dead, which was Peter and Paul. Uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the problem with Bethel's view is that, you know, they, have, they believe they have more of the blessings of the future kingdom than they actually do. Um, you know, Bethel followers sometimes declare that healing has already happened, uh, which is both presumptuous and deceptive. Um, and when, you know, the dead person isn't raised as promised, Bethel lacks the theology of suffering to help the grieving family understand why the, the miracle didn't occur. At best, they'll say, you know, they don't know. And at worst, they'll say it's due to a lack of faith or unconfessed sin. 
uh, you know, following this story, my, my heart broke twice. First, for the parents of this little girl who, by our accounting, was taken from them far too soon. And, you know, but my, my heart broke a second time when I saw how hopeful they were for Olive's miraculous resurrection. And I grieve because their hope is in the wrong place. Uh, it's in, you know, the wrong promise, the wrong resurrection. Uh, would you agree with that, Cy? I would. <clears throat> but, you know, we got to look back at the whole Bethel thing. I mean, uh, these people were intricately involved with Bethel. Uh, I think the father was the worship leader, I believe. So, you know, being in something like a primary position within a church like this, you're going to find that you buy into what's being preached, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, there is no ifs and buts. You're appreciating the attention. This is your 15 minutes of fame. You're going to have to accept everything that is being taught there. So these people willingly went along with what Bill Johnson and the likes are all teaching within that place yeah yeah <clears throat> well you know in first thessalonians four thirteen, uh the apostle paul tells christians that that we should not grieve as others do who have no hope uh you know the the apostle wants to be perfectly clear that believers in jesus christ do not grieve over death as the rest of the world does you know, we, we hate death. We recognize it as the, uh, the unnatural result of sin and the fall. But we also know that for Christians, death is not the end of the story. Um, you know, and, and when uh, the, Bill Johnson and, and the rest of these guys are, are, you know, holding on to, you know, causing these people to hold on to some kind of hope for a resurrection, we're, we're missing the point that, uh, you know, for, for those who are in Christ, you know, the, there will be a resurrection. Um, well, like you said, you'd like, they're, up, they're holding out for the hope. Now, what is their hope in? And I think that's the key thing right there is because, you know, our hope is within Christ. Their hope was within themselves in the sense that they were hoping that they could all believe enough, hoping that they could all have enough faith to make a miracle happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, you know, the, the great comfort for believers who have had believing loved ones perish, uh, again, is that the end is not the end. Uh, verse 16 of first, first Thessalonians 4 goes on to say, uh, For the Lord himself would, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of, a tr of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, in fact, all of First Corinthians chapter 15 is all about the glorious promise of resurrection for all who have repented of their sins and have faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that, you know, these the pastors, this is, you know, when someone loses a, a loved one, this is where their focus should be, not on, well, you know, let's let's hope that uh, we can we can pray enough to raise them from the dead. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, definitely. Um, but you see, you've got to also go a little bit further, I think. You know, obviously I come from a charismatic word of faith background, and 
I fell for the same thing. I was a big Bill Johnson fan and uh, believed all the stuff he was teaching and uh, got in touch with all the uh, the fingers of God kind of churches that were going out there with the gold teeth and the gold dust. And you, you go looking for signs and wonders, you know, and Jesus calls it it's an adulterous nation that goes looking for signs and wonders. But one of the things that struck me the most was we had all these diamonds, we had all these just miraculously appearing, but only the pastor found them. Hello. But there was somebody at the front in a wheelchair. Not once did he lay hands on them to heal them. Not once did he uh, command them to stand up like Bill Johnson says they can do. So you start to see that there's a lot of emotional manipulation. And if you looked at the videos that were playing on this through the time, before they announced they were giving up, uh, there was lots of worship videos going out trying to instill faith within the nation, work up the nation to have the faith of resurrection power. But if you actually watch that, you kind of see in where it was just a bunch of people all talking together and screaming Jesus as loud as they can in ecstatic fervor all praying in tongues, repeating the same old phrases over and over and over. So basically what that reminded me of was like a lot of paganistic worship, a lot of paganistic, um, yeah, paganistic worship is the best way to describe it because pagans prayed in tongues as well. And they repeated the same old ecstatic phrases over and over and over again. You just change the words from Jesus to say maybe Baal and you've basically got a pagan festive going on right there. Because it's, it's basically all the same when you actually start to look at what the church actually teaches, and it all boils down to very simple things. Uh, you've got miracle power. You've got the power of God. You have the power of God, not the power of God is within you and God's working through you. The power of God was, was within you, and it's yours to do with whatever you want to do with it. Eee, no. You've also got sort of concentration on that. So you've got a concentration and then on basically what appeals to man, being healthy and wealthy. So you've got the appeal to like uh, doing many mighty works. So you can have a miracle working power to make whatever you call into power come to pass. You repeat the phrase long enough, you keep going over and, and you're fighting the devil because there's always an adversary who's like stopping everything from working. It's never you who's got not got enough faith or your theology's wrong. It's always the devil. You know, we blame the devil for everything. So you've got this mighty miracle power. You've got this, I've got this power where I can call into anything into existence. You've got this, and because... It's not happening. Well, obviously, it's some kind of demonic influence, and I'm going to cast out these demons that are stopping me from being victorious. And because I can cast out these devils, I now have the resurrection power within me where I can heal anybody, which is kind of ironic because we see in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, where Jesus says, you know, get away from me, I never knew you. He's actually talking to people who said, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. We healed the sick in your name. Get away from me. I never knew you. Well, that's obviously about a relationship. No. They thought they were already in a relationship with Christ. They believed they had the Holy Spirit within them. They believed that they 
were adhering to what the gospel says. They believed that they were saved. They already had what they thought was a relationship with God. But Jesus says, get away from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Christ calls all that an actual working of sin there. And he also talks about it in those days. So he's talking about the latter days where Christ says this. Well, so we kind of say we're in the last days today. Who does it sound like when we say that they cast out demons in Christ's name? They heal the sick in Christ's name. Do many mighty works in Christ's name, if not the charismatic church. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, Matthew 7, um, you know, definitely it, the the people that he's talking about here, you know, the, I mean, these are... These are Bible reading, you know, Bible believing. Um, obviously, they twisted the scripture, um, but but they would say that they are Bible reading and Bible believing uh, believers or Christians. I mean, these these are pastors and missionaries and um, you know deacons and elders in in churches. I mean, the, these aren't lay people that that they're talking about, um, you know, here in. In Matthew seven, I mean, I'm sure you could lump them in, but I mean, these are these are definitely um, people that have deceived themselves into uh, believing that you know all of these these mighty acts that they're they're performing, um, you know, are are what they are called to do, um, and you know, it's clear that when they're standing before. Uh, Jesus, uh, you know, he, he tells them that, you know, I, I never knew you. These things that you were doing in my name, um, they were not, they were not what, what I have uh, called you to, to do because you and I, we were never, uh, we were never one, you know? Correct, yeah. So then it comes down to then it's not about their belief that saved them. And if it's not about their belief that saves them, then it's not actually about their belief making miracles and resurrections happen. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, you know, I, I'm reminded of the, uh, the, the prodigal son, um, the parable of the prodigal son, you know, where the, the elder brother, um, you know, this guy, he's the one that he, he thinks he's doing uh, everything that his father wants him to do, but in the end, we find out that um, you know he he actually was just seeking the gifts instead of the the giver. He was, uh, you know, and I, I think that that's a a, a good parallel for uh, you know the whole charismatic movement. You know, they they're not actually seeking after uh, you know the heart of God. They're not they're not trying to uh, serve God. They ultimately are trying to serve themselves. Um, and and trying to reap the benefits of of God instead of actually being a a true uh, follower of of Christ. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit more to it, um, as we know in Romans. Is it ten seventeen? I can't remember the scripture reference because I'm a heretic. Um, but basically, it says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. One of the things that led me out of the charismatic movement literally was what scripture actually said. You know, things like Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Exodus 4, 11, where God says he makes people blind, deaf, and mute. 
You know, because one of the charismatic teachings in there for, that you get from Bill Johnson's churches is that it's never God's will to actually make anybody sick or harm anybody. And yet scripture is replete with God giving them sickness and harming people. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, scripture says that if, if a calamity has, has come to a, uh, to a city, has not Yahweh done it? Um, you know, and, and that's another thing, you know, watching the, the videos uh, out of this whole deal with uh, this little girl, you know, uh, Bill Johnson actually made the statement that, you know, he, he says that we know that um, not everybody got, dies in God's timing. Um, apparently, he doesn't believe that God is sovereign, uh, but he thinks that, um, you know, that people do not die in God's timing. Therefore, it's our job to, uh, to pray for, for resurrection. Yeah, well, they have a different view of sovereignty. You know, they would say that God is sovereign of the universe, but as far as the world is concerned, he's handed the keys over to us, truly, as we see fit. And if God mm. wants to interact on this planet, oh, then we kind of have to give him permission to do so, which is kind of sure, a yeah. complete denial of what sovereignty really, really means. Absolutely. I agree. And you're a cessationist, well, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would, I would call myself a cessationist, yeah. I'm um, going to give you a question then. So, you believe that there were people in the Bible that were resurrected from the dead? Yes, absolutely. So what do you do with scripture that says it is appointed for man to die once, then judgment? Um, I guess I, I haven't really had, had, uh... I haven't really thought about about that. Okay. Um, what I'm, what I'm would you sorry. say? Um, well, I, was, I thought you were just going to use your Arminian highlighter that you've got over there and just, you know, cross <laughs> it out of your Bible. I don't have one of those. <laughs> That's not what I've heard. <laughs> um, I've not really thought about it either. It just, it just came to my mind, actually, as, a, as we were talking and discussing this. You know, it's definitely something that we need to think about a little bit more and... Uh, Having these kind of conversations, I think, brings these thoughts out, which, you know, me and you don't agree on certain things, but I think it's great that we can have conversations like this where we can literally throw things out like that, that iron sharpens iron. Um, sure. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people have reached out to the Bill Johnson to try and be that iron sharpening iron, but I think it's a fool who shuts that conversation down because he's refusing or quenching the Holy Spirit, I would say, which is kind of ironic because they're very, very big on saying that people quench the Holy Spirit when they sure. themselves are actually guilty of it. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we do read that in Scripture. We know that, that we definitely can grieve and, and quench the Holy Spirit. Um, but, I, you know, I think that this... You know, theology of, uh, uh, you know, all these, all these miraculous gifts are, are still, um, you know, still being used. I, I, I'm solidly in the, the cessationist camp. You know, I, I think that this, these were sign gifts to the Jews. I think that, uh, you know, God was trying to, to give them every opportunity 
um, you know, to leave them without excuse. Um, it, it was for the initial, uh, you know, the initial launch of, of the gospel. Uh, but I, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, that these gifts that the, the sign gives, the miraculous gifts are, are uh, you know, in, in regular use. Now, that's not to say that, I, you know, God can't, can't activate that gift in, in someone if he chooses to. I mean, he's, he's God. He can do that. Uh, but I don't think that, that these are, are normative gifts that um, we should be expecting uh, for for. A- yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, but I would just like to point out this one conversation with me. You went from being a, continu- uh, a cessationist to now a caution, cautional continuationist. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, when when I've been asked that in the past, I, I call myself really like a, a, I guess cautional would be better, but kind of a, a, a limited uh, cessationist. You know, I, I I think that God is God; He can do whatever He wants. Um, but you know, when it when it comes to these these gifts that that uh, you know the charismatics are are pushing and saying that yep. everyone can have them all they have to do is receive this second baptism of the holy spirit and they're going to receive this power um you know i i just i can't get on board with that no so if you think about that though as well we learned from the uh the old times in our assemblies of god times you know we tend to see a lot of it's always an appeal to what man wants um Love him or hate him, I think Ravi Zacharias summed it best. He always says, be cautious of the Christians. No, what did he say? No, completely forgotten. It's escaped my mind because I'm old. I'm nearly as old as Methuselah. <laughs> but basically, he was talking about, you know, we see a lot of stuff within church. Nothing more than humanism with a Christian veneer. And I yeah. think that is so apt here. I think that's what we're seeing with Bill Johnson is, is that he's taking a very thin section of Scripture, of the Bible, concentrated them so much on what appeals to man, the humanism side, you know, the, the health, and I've got this power, and you just have to do whatever you want, just do it in Jesus' name. It all appeals to man. That's why you don't see anything talking about repentance, you know, turning away from our sin, dealing with our sin, actually being appointed to suffer as Scripture says we're appointed to suffer for Christ's sake. You don't really see that. It's about living victorious and joyful and, as Austin put it, your best life now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, one of the the biggest uh, issues... Uh, that I have to deal with uh, in in Africa when I'm working uh, over in Africa, you know, I, I I'm reminded of a um, you know we were doing a a pastors uh, training conference, and um, you know I, I was talking about the prosperity gospel and um, you know and and laid out the scriptures that that refuted the prosperity gospel and. You know, uh, one of the pastors stood up when I was done and said, "You know, the, these these guys they they come into our area uh, and they they start telling the people that you know if they'll just start uh, babbling in an unknown language that they'll they will receive this power and they'll become rich and they'll have all these these miraculous uh, things happen in their life and you know I could see the." the pain in, in this pastor's eyes, you know, because he's losing his congregation to, to this teaching. Um, 
and it, it's just it's it's been it's been very very difficult for for those those men over in Africa because the, it that theology is is spreading like wildfire um, because they those people have nothing and when someone comes in and says well you can have everything um, you know it's very appealing to them on top of that these the Africans, you know, they're already, you know, mysticism, you know, the mystical charms and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's already in their culture. So, um, you know, for someone to come in and say that, you know, you get to see all of this uh, miraculous stuff, these people being healed and being raised from the dead, um, you know, it, it's very, very appealing to them. Um, they don't necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily concerned with truth, which... Um, you know, it's very been very difficult for, for all of us that, that have been trying to work over there. But um, anyways, I, you know, I say that to say, say that because this all of this is connected. You know, people like Bill Johnson and, um, you know, all the other hyper charismatics that that are running around with this wild theology. Um, you know, the the falsehoods out of Bethel are, are long. And, you know, this situation with the little girl was, was terrible for so many reasons. You know, uh, this, there isn't a year that, that goes by that we don't read in the news of someone that has left grandma dead in her bed for, for weeks while they prayed for a resurrection. And when people like Bill Johnson tout their falsehoods, uh, it's, it's just going to encourage more people to, to jump off the deep end and, and make Christians look crazy. And, you know, I'm sick of it, um, and there's so many people supporting his ministry by purchasing and downloading his, their music. You know Bethel Bethel's music, um, and and when I talk to people about that, they they just seem like they don't really care. Uh, you know they they just say, well, I like the music. You know the same with with Hillsong. I mean they're not as bad, but you know the the guy that's running their their church is a, a self-proclaimed apostle, you know, and, and it's just, uh, I don't know. It's. Oh, I can, I can relate. I mean, it's, it's personal for me as well. I lost a wife and my son to the whole word of faith, charismatic movement through Andrew Womack's ministries. So it, it can be personal. Um, but at the same time, you know, you find that which you need to focus on, which is God. I think, you know, when you've got God with you, you've got God living within you, and um, you are a truly born-again Christian, you know you're on depravity, you know who you are, you know yourself very, very well, and how much of a scumbag you mm. really are. Unless you're from England, obviously, because <laughs> we're a lot more holy and sanctified sure. over there. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it just it magnifies the beauty of who God actually is the grace that he's bestowed upon you and the fact that it's a free gift as well literally like blows me away so in that sense yeah it's bad and yes we should be angry but at the same sense it should and it does glorify god to those who actually know god yeah and i think that's the key there yeah amen i agree completely Amen and share.
This week's Pharisee Minute is brought to you by Super Soaker. Super Soaker, the easiest and most effective way to baptize your congregation. Also available in a Catholic version, which comes equipped with a crucifix and holy water pre-installed. Order your congregation Super Soaker today while supplies last. All right, side. today's Pharisee Minute will be about alcohol. Now, I'll give you my two and a half cents regarding this issue, and, and you can add your input uh, if that's okay. Sure, boss. Um, being a, a member of a Southern Baptist church, I hear the war drums against alcohol regularly. But what saith the Bible on the issue? I usually point people to Psalm 104 that tells us that God gave us wine to gladden our hearts. Um, of course, they usually the usual response to that is, it's talking about great juice. And that's when I combine a little science with scripture. Um, you see, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have refrigeration. So the only way to have grape juice year-round was to ferment it. And when you look at where the Jewish festivals fall throughout the year, there is no way that the people at these celebrations were drinking grape juice year-round. They were drinking alcohol. Furthermore, when you look at uh, things like Paul telling Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach, I mean, that surely isn't talking about grape juice. Um, you know, bottom line, there, there is no prohibition of drinking alcohol in Scripture. Now, the Scripture does tell us that we are not to be drunkards. And one of the requirements for a leader in the church is to not be addicted to much wine, according to, to 1 Timothy 3. And, you know, we got to notice that it doesn't say that he must to totally abstain from wine, but he is to not be addicted to much wine. With that said, alcohol could be a sin for an individual. As we, we read in Romans 14, 14, it says, I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So, if you are convicted that you should abstain from drinking alcohol, by all means do so, because to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. But when you try to push your personal convictions that are not found in Scripture onto others, this is where the problem lies. You end up creating Pharisees. What do you think? Well, I'm right with you right now. Um... The only thing I would add on there is that I do think there is actually some kind of prohibition on American beer because it's terrible. And only English beer is what Lord's children should be drinking. But we see that we see it reflected in, like you said, um, you know, to those who think it's wrong, then don't drink it. And we see that reflected in Daniel. Daniel was on a fast and decided not to drink wine. Um, he was convicted on that, that, you know, this part of his fast here is that he is going to abstain from wine. It was part of his personal conviction. So we know that there is a personal conviction on it. We don't judge people for not drinking it. You don't want to drink it, then don't. That's good. I'm with you on that one, and I won't drink around you as well. Then we also see, uh, I think it was uh, Proverbs 23, verses 30 to 32. It's talking about wine there. Uh, 
But it starts off with not just drinking wine. The very first sentence is talking about people who linger on wine. They linger over it. Well, somebody who lingers over wine is somebody who drinks an awful lot. You're lingering over wine. Um, and then it talks about, you know, you're looking at it longingly. You're looking at the sparkles that are going on in the cup. So you've got some kind of affection towards this wine when you see that. That's not a normal person's behavior there. It is talking about somebody who's definitely got a drinking problem, who basically lingers over this wine, who's attracted to this wine and loves the way it goes down so smooth, like it's an, a cure for their addictions and problems in life. But then the verse 32, I think, is what it basically sums up what happened too much time and focus on it. Somebody who's addicted to being a drunk, simple as that. Where it says, at last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Wine is destructive and can bring actual death. And, you know, as, we, as you said, you know, Timothy was told to drink wine good for the stomach because of the vinegar content that you would find in wine in there. Vinegar is an actual good source of uh, digestive issues. You look at the old, what do they call it, the Bragg's apple cider vinegar that the internet's yeah. full of yeah. that you know it cures everything it even raises people from the dead <laughs> <laughs> you know so the vinegar was good and then not like the vinegar we have today where it's just mass produced like, that stuff was like the original organic stuff you know where basically peasants were eating organic whereas nowadays we have to pay through the nose to eat like a peasant back then which is kind of ironic but yes wine is it's good, and I think it's somewhere in the Psalms, I can't remember off the top of my head where it is, where basically God tells the children of Israel to go and drink strong drink. So God is anti-alcohol, but then he tells his people to go and drink strong drink? No, that's kind of foolish. You know, now as you see in Scripture, you know, it says, be not drunk. You yeah. can drink one beer, you're not drunk. Whereas... You drink five, six, seven, eight, depending on how much you drink, I guess. But you're kind of drunk, and that's kind of there where, you know, you drink too much, and you can open portals in your toilet to hell, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you can only close that portal with a King James Bible. Um, so, you know, you're... Which it can be difficult to find nowadays because there's so many different versions. You know, do you buy the dollar store one where it was Adam and Steve were in the garden because it was as a poem beginning? So you're careful. I, you know, I enjoy good beer. I drink certain because they are chemically mass produced and they just they upset my stomach. Whereas I can drink like the English one I drink right now is a Sam Smith's one from Yorkshire, my hometown right there. Go Yorkshire. So. I can drink that beer, and it's an organic beer, and literally, I have no issues with that at all. And, you know, because I'm old, I've got to be careful what I do drink. And I think God gives us beer for things yeah. to enjoy, you know. The monks basically invented beer. So any Pharisees who are listening, and, you know, I've got a problem with the beer, mm. basically I say to them, well, call us up, let's go out for a drink, and we'll discuss it. Yeah, well... The, the Pharisees in, in, in my local area, they would probably, if you asked them that question, they would begin praying for you to get saved. So um, probably, probably would, as well. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and move on to the next segment, the next and the last segment. Um, we're going to play a little game. It's called Name That Heretic. So the game is simple. Um, I will give you clues to which heretic I have in mind, and you'll guess the name of that heretic. Uh, easy enough? Go for it. All right. So the first clue. I am a word of faith proponent. That's the a second clue. clue is, uh, yeah. That's not a clue. That's we're, a generalized statement. The, that's why you're supposed to compile these clues together. Yo, oh, no, you're making things difficult mm. for me. Oh, my goodness. All right. Your second clue. I am a prosperity preacher. The third clue is, I believe we are little gods. Your fourth clue is, I believe that Jesus was born again in hell. Oh, that's easy. And your last clue is, this person said they are not a sinner. That's definitely easy. All right. Well, who is that heretic? Josh Meyer. All right, very good. I didn't get it till the fourth one. <laughs> what do I win? Uh, well, I, I think you need to try Shock Top again. I, I'm going to send you a bottle of Shock Top. That's all for this episode of The Fallout. Be sure to tune in next week. And until then, grace be with you. <laughs>